Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you want to listen to this episode or any of our episodes ad-free, you can do that now. Head on over to Patreon. Click on the ad-free level. You get all of our bonus shows that you've been hearing so much about. Plus, every single day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, you can listen to this episode or any of our other episodes at the same time, ad-free, over on Patreon. everyone this is david welcome back behind the velvet rope let's just get right into it today because we are joined by the one the only miss mackenzie phillips hi everybody it's me mac how are you today mac phillips you know what i'm doing well i'm doing well i'm you know it's a very sort of uh, cold and well, not, i mean cold by la standards it's a chilly day in Los Angeles, a little bit overcast. I'm here in my office at Breed Life Healing Center in West Hollywood, California. I love a chilly day in LA. I'm in New York and it's a chilly day here. I'm like a fall person. I don't necessarily like the summer. Me too. Bring on the boots, the sweaters, the scarves. Yes. This is why you have your flannel on today, isn't it? That's right. I'm such a, I'm such a good little ally, aren't I? You really are. Um, <laughs> We're going to get into all that in a second. Okay. Um, but, you know, listen, when you look back at your first film role way back when you were 12 years old in American Graffiti, which is now almost 50 years ago, do you, I mean, do you remember that? Is it like, who the hell was that? Or do you really have vivid memories of getting that first role? Oh, I, I remember a lot. I remember that I was, I was, I, w- I went to Waldorf school, like sort of a, a very, um, uh, it's a very interesting type of education. So I was a Waldorf kid and my son was a Waldorf kid, was a Waldorf kid. And I was in a band at school called Chris, Laura, Adam, and Scott. My first name is Laura. So the band was called Class and we were performing at the Troubadour here in LA, which is a very famous club on Monday night, which was called Hoot Night, like open mic. And I was in this little band and I was the lead singer. And we, we thought we were so cool. And a gentleman named Fred Roos was there and he was casting American Graffiti. And he came up to me and he said, hey, kid. Hey, kid, how'd you like to be in a movie? And I was like, oh, my God, that would be so cool. 
So I was a total Valley kid. And um, I ended up auditioning against 250 other girls and I got the job. And, um, you know, I thought, I'll be honest, I thought we were doing like an after school special or, you know, you remember after, I don't know, you're probably too young, they were like after the school ABC specials. after school specials, yes. Exactly. I didn't really know what we were doing. I thought maybe it was an educational film. I didn't really know. And then boom, it was the highest grossing film of 1973, I think. Yeah. yeah, it was a big deal. And also for those of you all uh, listeners out there, watchers that don't know, uh, American Graffiti was George Lucas's first studio film. And of course, we all know what George went on to do. So that was his first movie. Wow. So pre-Star yeah. Wars, George Lucas. That's right. Did you, because like, you know, you were born into... Um, family of entertainment like with your father you know being in the mamas and the papas did you before that like you had a band like did you want to necessarily be an actress no I wanted to be the the nasty girl with the guitar I wanted to be like the rock star um you know and uh then I rode the acting train in the direction that it was going for many many years and and you know it turned out to be quite remarkable run for me but I wanted, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a singer, I'm an actor who can sing. So I've done Broadway, I've done many national tours. Uh, I had a, a series on Disney Channel, which by the way, is available on Disney Plus. Um, I signed up for Disney Plus just so I could watch So Weird, which is a, a, a terrific little show where I played a mom who was a rock star traveling on the road with my kids. And in almost every episode, I get to be the girl on stage with the guitar singing rock and roll. So it was super fun. What type of music do you like in real life? Like, who are your favorites? Like, I really, of course, love classic rock. Uh, I'm a huge uh, Jackson Brown, Joni Mitchell, James Taylor, The Stones, Led Zeppelin, um, all that kind of stuff. So that's kind of what I like to listen to. Uh, you know, I live with my 34 year old son who's into a lot of melodic metal. Um, so I do listen to some, you know, very sort of melodic instrumental metal. And it's so interesting when you think about metal, a lot of it is very similar to classical music at its root. So there's a lot of, I love music. I love singing. Uh, there's a lot of different influences for sure. Interesting. When you say girl with a guitar on stage, I just think of Joan Jett. Like when I look at you and I think, think of Joan Jett. Exactly. I had this show, a, a, a funny little show called Hollywood Heartbeat in 1980. And it was bef just before MTV. And I was the host of this funny little show. And I, I got to interview Joan Jett sitting on the sidewalk on the strip in 1980, in like in the middle of the night. It was super fun. Wow. Well, shortly after American Graffiti, you got your breakout iconic role of Julie Cooper in One Day at a Time. So, I mean, that was pretty quick, like for someone who wasn't sure they wanted to be an actress, like, you know, people go through years and years of struggling. And I mean, it all kind of happened relatively quickly for you. It, it's like it's like one of those stories that that is one in a million. You know, I, I did American Graffiti and then before Graffiti came out, I did a couple of movies of the week. And uh, the, probably the most iconic one is Go Ask Alice, which was a movie of the week uh, based on that book. And, and of course, you know, Go Ask Alice, the song. Um, so I played the baby hooker in the park. 
and uh, I remember that. I just remember this stuff like it was yesterday, but it also seems like a lifetime ago. But yes, then one day at a time came along. And, uh, you know, I, my manager at the time said, oh, you know, you'll just take this little TV show. It probably won't go anywhere and it'll get you through to 18 years old and then you won't be bound by, you know, the uh, child labor laws and then you can, and one day at a time ran for nine years. So that was a thing. Yeah, that was a thing. Like, since you remember things so well, like, what are some of your, like, do you have like a best memory or some best memories from that show? Well, you know, it, I grew up on that show. So Valerie and I, Valerie Bertinelli and I um, went to school together, just the two of us in an office with a teacher that was right next door to the rehearsal hall. And I took my Waldorf curriculum with me into the schoolroom. So I was studying art theory and Greek mythology and, you know, learning ancient Greek in, in our, our studio teacher room. And Valerie had a public school uh, curriculum that she brought with her. But we had a lot of fun in the, in the schoolroom. And um, then we'd have to, you know, we'd have to do school in certain amount of time blocks in order for it to count towards, you know, your, your day of school. And then we'd be brought back into the rehearsal hall. And, you know, I mean, I have absolutely wonderful memories of one day at a time. It was like a, the family that I never really had that sort of nuclear family who held you accountable. And, you know, but I was, uh, you know, I was uh, on the front end of a raging substance use disorder that would continue on for many years with a lot of stops and starts. And so, you know, I was the, uh, I was the, the other, I was very other on the set of one day at a time, because if you think about Valerie, you know, she's lovely. We're still friends all these years later, but you know, she was a, a, an age appropriate 15 year old girl. I was 16. I was wearing black leather and, you know, sort of growling at people and, you know, uh, late for work. And, you know, I mean, it was, it was, um, it was like a, a dysfunctional family that functioned because all families that have an addict in them, you know, sort of, they sort of spin around the addicted person trying to change them, save them, fix them. And certainly none of that really works as we know uh, through years of watching families decompensate uh, due to substance use disorders and undiagnosed mental health issues. And so I was suspended from one day at a time, a couple of times, and then eventually I was fired. And then I came back and then I got fired again. And, and it was, um, it was uh, tabloid fodder, certainly. Um, you know, and the tabloids are very different now than they were then. We didn't really have, we didn't have paparazzi following us around or popping out from behind a bush or something like that. They would only be at scheduled events and then they'd take pictures of you on the red carpet, uh, on the red carpet. And that was that. So, you know, I'm kind of grateful that there, there's not a lot of, uh, you know, photo documentation of those days of me, but also I have, you know, our minds and our brains are constantly snapping photos of, of, of life as we experience it. So I have the archive, but it's not necessarily out there for public consumption. Do you ever think like, right, like if there were paparazzi or I mean, imagine now like social media, that would be a whole well, different thing. We had the Inquirer. So they would say, sources say, 
Sources say that Mackenzie Phillips was seen falling all over herself at, you know, and uh, like, I think one of my Wesley Ewer was my date. I love Wesley. Hi, Wesley Ewer. And, um, you know, and her, her, her date, Wesley Ewer, wasn't quite sure what to do. And so he hustled her out of there quick. You know, that's the kind of thing that exists. And certainly, you know, we would like, and so, oh my gosh, I, at Chiller. So we were talking about Chiller Theater, which is an autograph convention that happens yeah. in Parsippany. Uh, a guy came up to my table and he said, I really feel like you should have this. I'm not sure where I got it, but I'd like to give it to you. And it was a scrapbook of my entire teenage career. Like this thick, each page had cutouts from Tiger Beat, Teen Magazine, 16 Magazine, all of these things. And, and I was like, oh my God, you're giving this to me? And he gave it to me and now I have it. And so even though there weren't paparazzi, there's a lot of physical documentation of our teenage years for, for me and Val and, and all the rest of us who were teen, as they called us then, teen heartthrobs. As you look through this gift at Chiller, my friend Dina was at Chiller. Were you like, okay, I'll take this? Or were you like, oh my God, I can't hardly- Oh my this. God, I was like, I almost cried because when I opened it up and I started to see that someone, someone somewhere- had lovingly and cut out every clipping of me and pasted it into like one of those old fashioned red leather books that says scrapbook on cursive, in cursive on the cover. And somehow it survived all these many, many decades and now it's mine. Yeah, that was, that was absolutely moving and beautiful. Who was a better student in school, you or Valerie? You. Me, yeah. Yeah, I, I, uh, Bonnie Franklin always used to say, we all know that Mac is the smartest one in the room. I mean, for whatever reason, I did very well in school, even though, you know, my, my, my history is so, you know, complicated. I was always a really good student. Could it be? And Valerie, Valerie would say the same thing, just so you know, I'm not talking out of, out of class. She would agree with you that you were the better student. I think so. I think she would. Yeah. When you look back for, you know, like you said, like you were kind of suspended once you were then terminated twice. Like you were doing all sorts of like drugs and alcohol. Like, do you look back and have any regret from like, just like a business point of view of like just that show, like Julie Cooper could have been maybe more developed. You know, you could have done more with the character. You know, as a woman in long-term recovery and as a person who's done a lot of personal work around this kind of stuff, when I think about regret, I think about, okay, so if I could go back and sort of surgically excise some sort of thing and take it out and make it never be there, we might not be sitting here right now. I might not be helping to run a beautiful and be a part owner of a beautiful treatment center right here in the middle of the Hollywood Hills. I might not have my gorgeous and incredible son. So sure, I mean, my mind goes, oh God, I remember that day when I was two hours late for work and I walked in and I was loaded and, you know, and I was 19 years old. Yeah, of course you cringe, but uh, 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 to, uh, I mean, I'm about to get corny. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Thank you, Kelly Clarkson. I love you. I wish I knew you. You're awesome. I wish I knew Kelly Clarkson too. Oh my God, I think she'd be like my best friend. I watch her on The Voice and I'm like, we are, we are the same people. Chatty, I have, chatty, chatty, super, super smart, musically mm-hmm. inclined. I, I wish I could sing like Kelly Clarkson, but oh well. My friend Lauren Zarian is like 
does like guest appearances on her show. He's like kind of the lifestyle. I love him. I love that man. Well, he is my friend. I will tell, tell us how you love him. He's a lovely human being. I've done home and family a couple of times. And he also came to my 60th birthday party. I'm very fond of him. And boy, are he and his brother beautiful. We love them both. They are beautiful human beings. You know, my sister, China Phillips, who is, you know, part of the band Wilson Phillips. Yeah. They were on uh, Kelly Clarkson's show singing with her. So that was kind of exciting. And just for the record, I met Gregory first. So Gregory Zarian's my real true friend because I'll get, you know, these, these twins, you got to have your allegiance. To I know. Mackenzie. Yeah, exactly. But because of that, in my mind, I am not one to ask for things. I'm just like, do you want to offer up Kelly Clarkson to me at any point to come on this podcast? <laughs> like, I'm not going to argue with that, but I'm not one to ask. But yes, I think I'd like to be friends with her in my head too. Hey, you know, I have a podcast. You do? There's millions and millions of podcasts. It's called America Recovers. And it's me and my good friend, Brad Lamb. And we have interviewed Oprah Winfrey. We have interviewed Billy Porter. We've interviewed a lot of really incredible people over the time that we're through Westbrook Media. And um, so if you're interested in hearing about recovery or all kinds of cool and interesting topics, uh, come find us wherever you get your podcasts. America Recovers. I'll, I'll like There's my little, my little plug. You can plug anything you want. Listen, I mean, just plug away. Well, right. I mean, and I I agree with you. I don't really believe in regrets in life either. I truly, I mean, now I'm going to get corny. I really do believe like everything happens for a reason. And it was just part of your journey. And like, I don't believe in like victims or just like, this was your story. It's just how This is is what happened. Right. And, you know, and we survived. And, and, you know, for me, I, I, I speak for myself. Not only did I survive, I actually am thriving. And so that is something that I'm, I'm, I'm proud that I have weathered the storm. I'm 62 years old, you know, what the, what the F, what the F, what the heck to be, you know, still here and being, you know, I'm quite often amazed that I'm able to even put together a, a, you know, a lucid sentence, let alone a paragraph, let alone help run, you know, a treatment center. Um, I wonder what it would be like had I not sort of rewired my brain with drugs and alcohol all those years ago. I could be like, you know, I don't know, something, something else. But here well, I you, am. You remember everything too, which that's the real thing that shocked me because I don't really remember a lot of things. I just don't anymore. The older I get, it's like. Well, when, when I wrote High on Arrival, which is, you know, my memoir that came yeah. out in 2009, um, I needed someone to help me with with chronologically because I have a I remember so much but I can't go oh that was in that was in 1977 and that was in you know I'm like okay that happened and then because you know uh, there's so much documentation um, someone can go back and find the connective tissue that makes all the stories connect in that way but high on arrival that was quite a thing well, you were so open about everything in that book, you know, was that really, well, what was, I, I know that when you were going, when you were 50 and you were going to like the one day at a time reunion, you got stopped. <laughs> oh, I got arrested. In the airport. You got arrested. I got arrested at LAX for felony possession. And, you know, I had been uh, previously 
uh, in recovery for close to 10 years. And um, my fall from grace was gradual and then became very public when I got arrested. And, you know, that was, that was, uh, that was quite a thing. Miss Phillips, you have the right to remain silent. I'm like, wait, you're arresting me? Oh my God, they're actually, hey, they're arresting me. You know, it was, it was a trip. And um, all I could think was, I'm somebody's mother. I am Shane's mom. And Shane doesn't know. Now, Shane, of course, knew that I was in recovery and that I had, you know, because our family is riddled with, you know, substance use disorders and mental health issues. But, you know, your mom gets arrested and it's the lead story on the local news. It's, it was very hard for my boy. Yeah, I'm it was sure. Hard for, it, was, it was hard on a lot, of, a lot of levels. And I had already begun the process of uh, shopping an idea for a memoir before the arrest. And then the arrest came and then, man, just everything started happening. And, you know, that was, that was a, a really crazy time. And, and the Oprah Winfrey interview on the day that the book was published, the day that it hit the stands, uh, there was a lot of unrest and dis- distress in my family, which has over the years gotten much better, just in case anybody was wondering. There's a family thread we all text and we're all in touch and we spend time together whenever we can. Was writing that book kind of a thing like with like China and other members or was that just kind of like, what are you doing? Why are you putting all this out there? Um, only when it came time to, when they realized that the book was going to be uh, an important event. I think that there was a thought that, oh yeah, Mackenzie's writing a book. No one's ever going to read it. And then Oprah came into play and Simon and Schuster, a huge publishing house came into play. And I think everybody got really upset. And, um, and I understand that. And had I known the, the distress it would have caused everybody on such a visceral level, I would certainly have considered doing things slightly differently. I certainly would not have, uh, uh, decided to not tell my truth because my truth needed to be told, but I likely would have done it slightly differently. But you know, hindsight being 2020, here we are. I was just going to say, if they didn't think it was going to be a thing, I guess Simon and Schuster is one thing, but then, I mean, hello, Oprah Winfrey, then this exactly. is real. Yeah, it became a thing. And, and we have healed a lot of those wounds and we're all back in love with each other as brothers and sisters should be. Was it harder to really write about, you know, your addiction and like all of that in those dark days or was it really because of all this stuff that happened like with your father and like the sexual You know, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a relationship. It was sexual abuse, yes. first of all. No, it's um, funny. I actually had a note to myself that when I asked that question, I literally, uh, no, 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 no joke. I literally said, as I was preparing for this, I don't know what the right word is. Like literally, like yes. I'm the first one to be like, I need to learn from this situation. I'm like, is this relationship well, or is it abuse? Let, let me, let me say this. When I wrote High on Arrival, I wasn't Googling, you know, am I allowed to say this was a relationship or should I call it sexual abuse or, you know, and, um, when the book came out, because I did call it a consensual relationship in the initial high on arrival. And then when I was on Oprah and all of the massive amount of press that I did in the days after the release of the book, I was inundated 
on all social media platforms with private messages saying, this is not a consensual relationship. There is no such thing as consent because the power dynamic between a parent and a child is so uh, specific and there, there's no such thing as consent. And then I really had to rethink because I, because I thought that I consented because I didn't scream and yell. I thought that I had consented for a myriad of reasons. And when I learned that I had been groomed, uh, I went, okay. So when High on Arrival came out, big, 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 huge, number three bestseller on the New York Times list. And it was a media shitstorm. pardon my French. I really didn't expect that kind of backlash. Uh, I, I really didn't, maybe I was naive. I tend to be sort of, oh, everybody loves everybody and everyone's gonna understand everybody else because that's what we should do as human beings. That didn't happen. And then when it came time for uh, the paperback version of, of High on Arrival to came, come out, I petitioned my publishers to allow me to write an addendum, an additional chapter to the, the uh, paperback to say, hey, look, thank you, because America, the world, schooled me and taught me more about my experience than I had known. And so that was quite a thing to be able to reframe that in such a way that uh, was more appropriate. Is that what the media shitstorm was? Was it that you're using the wrong word, like consensual versus? I don't, you know, no, I think everyone was just like the shocking, uh, you know, the shocking allegations, you know, and then people said, people would say something like, well, yeah, of course you waited until he was dead because so he couldn't. Uh, refuted. And then, but of course, had I done it when he was alive, they would have said, why don't you wait till he was dead? You know, so it's right. a rock, rock meat hard place, you know? Right. Totally. Yeah. Even though like, I agree with you, like no regrets in life. Like, did you ever feel guilty towards like Valerie or like Bonnie of like, you know, this, sh or just your other castmates, like the show, you know, like I let you all down in the sense that like Julie's not there now. You know, I, uh, I don't think that's healthy. I have had the opportunity with Bonnie and Pat Harrington, who have both since passed, to make my amends. And of course, Valerie is a living amends on a daily basis. You know, we're pals. Um, I don't, no, I don't carry it that way. Um, they did everything they could to help me or fix me or try and shift me and I couldn't, and and then you know when I left the show, uh, not not of my own choice, um, and then when I came back, the ratings jumped back up again, and so it was a you know it just it's what happens, and I got to tell you this that um, as with High on Arrival, um, I with High on Arrival, I had so many people say you have given a voice to the voiceless. You know, others who have experienced this felt empowered to seek help or tell somebody. And, you know, I believe that if High on Arrival had come out in the current climate of Me Too, the backlash would have been very, very, almost like a whisper, you know, because uh, this was, you know, prior to the Me Too movement, prior to everyone should have a platform and be believed. Um, you know, I remember watching at my home, sitting there and turning it on and there, 
they have someone like, I don't know, it was one of the entertainment magazine TV shows that's national. And they had someone on there who was a body language expert and they were looking, watching me on Oprah and deciding whether or not I was telling the truth based on my body language during the interview. And I can tell wow. you that in the current climate, that never would have happened. It just never would have happened. Um, and, and the one day, and to relate this back to your question about one day at a time, is that I was in that group of people prior to some sort of understanding uh, when they would suspend me as, you know, a later in years teenager, they would say, go, go get well. And I'd go and get my hair done and get my teeth cleaned. I'd go to the dermatologist, I'd buy new clothes and I'd come back and I'd go, ta-da. And they'd be like, good job, good job. Because later on it became, we are going to get you some help. We are going to send you to treatment. So I was sort of a pioneer in that, that uh, they kind of learned from some mistakes that you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You don't tell someone to go get well. You actually say, here's what we're going to do. You're going to treatment and you know, you're going to have a sober companion on the set, but we didn't know it was the seventies. We didn't know how to handle it. And so, you know, it was, uh, it was, uh, uh just, just uh, a little too early in the, the, uh, the timeliness, the timeline of understanding how to treat a teenager with a substance use disorder, who is famous, you know, and then now, now we see people taking a break and going to treatment and they come back to their job with a sober companion on the set that goes with them. And, you know, it's, it's a different time. It's a different world. Yeah. The wait is over. That's right. Season five of the Kardashians is here. Just when you thought life couldn't get any faster, they're punching it into overdrive. Chris, Courtney, Kim, Chloe, Kendall, and Kylie are back and continue to defy expectations in all their endeavors. So get ready to go behind the glitz and glamour of the most iconic family on television. The all-new season of The Kardashians premieres May 23rd, streaming on Hulu. You guys know that staying youthful is very important to me, and that's why NAD Plus supplementation is an important part of my health routine. Basis by Elysium Health is the most trusted source of NAD supplementation. Their product basis is clinically proven to increase levels of NAD by 40%. As I age, which I'm not happy about, this is so important to me. Did you know that NAD is found in every single cell of your body and it's responsible for creating energy and regulating hundreds of cell functions, but the body doesn't have an endless supply and the levels decline as you age. Now that I take basis, I have to tell you guys, I've experienced less fatigue and more satisfying workouts. I mean, it doesn't hurt that, you know, Elysium Health has dozens of the world's best scientists working with them and eight are Nobel Prize winners. And here's a special offer for my listeners. Go to trybasis.com slash velvet and enter code velvet at checkout to save 10% off basis prepaid plans as well as other Elysium Health supplements. 
We have tools to help us plan for and track everything in our lives, wellness, finances, careers. Why should fertility be any different? What if I told you you can get important fertility insight without going to the doctor or even leaving home? Modern fertility is an easy and affordable way to test your fertility hormones at home with a simple finger prick. Mail it in with a prepaid label and you'll get your personalized results within 10 days. You'll get insight into your hormone levels, how many eggs you have compared to other women your age, and other important fertility factors. The results go deep into what every hormone means, and you can also talk one-on-one with a fertility nurse to review your results and options for the next steps. Right now, Modern Fertility is offering our listeners $20 off the test when you go to modernfertility.com velvet. That means your test will cost $139 instead of the hundreds of thousands thousands it could cost at a doctor's office. Get $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com slash velvet. Modernfertility.com slash velvet. I have to tell you about a new nutritional product that I started using called Athletic Greens. Now I started taking Athletic Greens because I wanted better gut health, I wanted more energy, and I wanted to optimize immune system. Well, let me tell you, what I love best about Athletic Greens is it's easy. I personally don't have, didn't have, and never will have time for any nutritional product that is complicated to use. So here's the thing. Athletic Greens, you take one scoop and you add eight ounces of water, and that's all you need. Also, the other thing I love about Athletic Greens, it actually tastes great, and it's inexpensive. It costs less than $3 a day. Also, I love it. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs. So there's no nasty chemicals or anything artificial to make it easy. Athletic greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash velvet. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash velvet to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Everyone who knows me knows that I'm obsessed with keeping my teeth white, white as white, white as possible. Listen, I've tried a lot of other things and it's not just that, that they didn't work. I wasn't really sure that the products were so safe. Well, listen, now I've discovered Lumino. Lumino products make me feel healthier, safer, and happier about my smile because my teeth are white. But listen, Lumino isn't just for teeth whitening. Lumina makes toothpaste, mouthwash, and of course, teeth whitening. They use purposeful and uncompromising ingredients such as sea salt, aloe, and coconut oils to clean and brighten my smile. Everything they make is certified non-toxic. That's what I love. No harsh chemicals or bleaches in any of their products. Also, as far as the teeth whitening, it only takes 30 minutes, which is great. And it brightens your smile with no sensitivity. You don't get those little zingers you're used to with other products. Find Lumino on Amazon.com and get $7 off today. That's L-U-M-I-N-E-U-X. Remember, it's spelled with an X so you can X out the harm. Lumino, dedicated to illuminating better ideas in oral care. I know we have a lot of fun here and talk about reality TV and all the drama, but at the end of the day, listen, what really matters in our lives is our relationships, especially those with significant others. In times like this more than ever, having someone you can trust and talk to is so important, but even the best relationships hit bumps in the road. 
That's why I find Talkspace so important. Talkspace therapy gives you unlimited access to a licensed therapist so you can clear up the confusion and focus on what matters most, being the best person and partner you can be. I mean, I'll be the first to admit I am not good at relationships. And Talkspace, listen, whether you're married for years or re-entering the dating scene or just trying to get comfortable with being single, talking to a therapist can really help. Join Talkspace today and start the journey to happier, healthier relationships. Just visit Talkspace.com and get $100 off your first month when you use promo code VELVET at sign up. That's $100 off Talkspace.com, promo code VELVET. Anyone who knows me knows that I get bored so very easily, and that extends to every aspect of my life, including my workouts. I find the best way to stay motivated is to have variety in my workouts, and that's why I love Peloton. The variety really does help keep me motivated. You can do a bike workout, then you can do yoga, meditation, dance cardio. I'm actually really good at dance cardio, guys, if you can believe that. And there's a whole new artist series class where you can listen to music from one single artist. I choose Madonna more times than not, but you can also do a theme like pop or rock, hip hop, EDM. Peloton has everything. And Peloton has a workout for every day, every schedule. You can de-stress from a long day with 30 minutes of strength or 20 minutes of cardio or a 15 minute total body class before work or after work. It's great. Listen, visit onepeloton.com to learn more. That's onepeloton.com to learn more. From Wondery, Even the Rich pulls back the curtain on the lives of the rich and famous and takes a peek into the wild world of celebrity. In an all new season, hosts Brooke and Arisha are telling the story of, wait for it, Janet Jackson. Oh my God, right? She was so freaking huge at the peak of her career. She was on top of the world, but in a fateful split second moment at the 2004 Super Bowl, Janet's life and career took a dramatic turn. From Wondery, even the rich Janet versus the Super Bowl looks back at her iconic career and the wardrobe malfunction that changed everything. They talk about her rise from kid sister and the Jackson family all the way to the fallout from Nipplegate when her breast was exposed on live TV to millions. She was torn to shred by the media, setting an unfortunate trend by the way many female celebrities in the 2000s were treated. We get into it, guys. Brooke and Arisha cover everything. And I thought I knew everything about Janet. I learned some stuff from this. Listen to Even the Rich and Rich and Daily on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, or you can listen ad-free by joining Wondering Plus and the Wondery app. When you see people then, like, to your point, like, that was the 70s, like, you know, like, Drew Barrymore in the 80s and, like, Demi Lovato and all she's gone through, like, do you, just because you're in the business, I mean, before we get into, like, what you do now, I know it's what you do now, like, do you feel like the need to, like, reach out or offer just here's a lifeline you know I I don't think that they need me they have other experts other people who have you know and and certainly I'm always available if someone wanted to reach out to me but there was a time where I would go on you know go to HLN and go on Jane Velez Mitchell and go on you know this that or the other to comment about these news stories about people who've relapsed or who've overdosed or who are no longer, who's gone to rehab. And I don't do that anymore because, because I feel like, I feel like I have no place doing that. I have no place commenting on someone else's recovery when I don't know them. And I only know what I've read in the media. And then, so I'm very mindful of that. And if anyone ever did reach out to me, I would be absolutely thrilled and it would never go past, 
you know, that it would never go, oh, guess what, David Yontas, Lindsay Lohan called me and, you know, or whatever, whoever, you know, so I've stopped commenting on other people's recovery. Uh, and I don't try to find a channel to reach out to other celebrities who are struggling with substance use disorder. But if they were to want to find me, they certainly could. That makes a lot of sense. That makes, yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, because a lot of people do, you know, like when Demi Lovato said the whole, like, she's California sober, which means that she still smokes pot and drinks wine. There was a lot of, there's a lot of people that had a lot of comments. She just actually came out and said, I'm not oh, California yes, sober. Did. Yes, I'm she did. sober and moderation doesn't work at all. I think that's kind of what she said. That's basically what she said. And And frankly, when the whole California sober thing came out, I got a lot of requests to comment on that in the media. And I just said, no, thank you. I have a personal opinion about it. I'm sure everyone can guess what my personal opinion is. I am, you know, an abstinence-based person in long-term recovery, but I didn't feel the need to go, yeah, this is a really bad idea. You know, I think most of us knew it was not the best idea. And I'm really proud of, of Demi Lovato for, you know, setting the record straight based on her own experience with moderation. Now, frankly, there are some people who can moderate. They're the anomaly. You know, I wouldn't want to go and say, well, maybe I can moderate. Let me see if I can have a little wine because I doubt that I'm the anomaly because I just don't think this vessel was made to put substances in it to change my state of mind. Like that's a job I have to figure out on my own. You know what I mean? Yeah, that makes complete sense to me. Completely. Right, because any substance you put in is going to change your state of mind. I mean, that's yes. right. I mean, I, I like, here you go. I don't smoke cigarettes anymore, but I do use nicotine gum. So, you know, that's a substance, but it's not heroin. Right. You know? It is yeah. not heroin. No. It's not heroin. I remember like, like during one of those times where I thought, oh, I'm, I'm going to see if I can drink successfully. And I remember sitting in the bar and sort of making a joke to the bartender going, well, well, last time I looked, there's no heroin in this Cabernet and alcohol brought me to my knees. So I, I have evidence to the contrary. I, California sober moderation, not for me, won't work. And I think everybody, you know, some people have to figure it out on their own. Right. And like you say, like props to Demi for saying, this is what I'm doing. And now yeah. I, I, I did it. I, I meant it at the time, but wait, it actually doesn't work for me. So now I'm right. not. like, that's yeah. great. Like that's it's, what it's all it's about. So, it's so admirable. It's such yeah. a good thing that she did that. Props to Demi. That's what I think. Was yeah. the airport incident like your final straw? Like you said, like the book, like you already had, a, you know, or was it really like writing the book? Like what was really like your like, okay. It's this. It was a it was a confluence of nightmarish events, you know, and 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 people quite often say, well, you know, we're not going to send him to treatment until he hits bottom. I'm telling you, people with fentanyl out there today and the the severity of of substance use disorders today, if you wait for someone to meet, hit their bottom, you might be waiting. They might just die, and and you have no. Then, it's, then, then you're completely powerless. So don't wait for someone to hit bottom because there's always a bottom below the bottom, below the bottom, below the bottom. Yes. Yeah. 
and death is final. So let's try to avoid that. Right. right? That's right. Was the process of writing high on arrival though, like just completely, you know, cathartic, like it would, well, I mean, it wasn't really cathartic, cathartic. I'm not a big fan of catharsis or closure, but it was meaningful and it was important. And it was something that I had been approached to write about since I was 20. And here I am 30 years later, finally writing about it. I remember um, maybe 10 or 12 years before High on Arrival, I was working with this amazing rock and roll music writer, I won't name him. And we were going to do the book and I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I wasn't ready. I couldn't speak my truth. So I said, you know what? Publishing people, I don't, I can't take your money because I'm not ready to tell the whole story. I'm not. Because if I tell it now, I'm going to leave stuff out. And so when, when I was finally ready to speak my truth, it was meaningful and exciting and scary. And yeah, I mean, you know, it was, it was, it was a thing. And, and if you're looking for that moment that changed me or flipped me, it, 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 no. it was a bunch of moments that led up to a, re, a, a reality, a realization, change or die. Well, kudos to you for not taking their money and putting out, you know, a book because lots of books go out that are autobiographies or someone's story that, you know, maybe are not the whole truth. Well, I've actually, I've actually thought about writing a follow-up to High on Arrival and calling it Everything I Left Out, but I would just piss everybody off again. So I won't be doing that. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's long enough. Like I think, you know, maybe. Maybe when I'm 70. Okay. I'm just going to put yeah. that out there. <laughs> How did you get into your current Breathe Life Healing Center that you- Well, you know, when I was a little girl, I remember going up to my mom and saying, and she told this story, you know, like at cocktail parties and stuff over the years. One day, this little girl over here came up to me and said, mommy, I want to be an abnormal psychiatrist. I guess that's what they called it back then. Because I remember as a child sitting there and thinking, what? drives behavior. I would look around me at the crazy shit going on and thinking, what makes them think it's okay to do be this way in front of me? I'm seven, I'm five, I'm nine years old. And I was always fascinated by behavior and what drives it. And I always had an interest in that. And then, you know, I was 12 and I became an actor and that went on for a long, long time. And I rode that train in that direction until it started slowing down a little bit. And then I, you know, and then I came home from treatment after the arrest and I thought, holy shit, I am almost 50 years old and I'm likely not going to be alive as long as I already have. That's not going to happen. What do I want to do with the rest of my life to give me a deeper experience? And I thought, well, I could continue to audition and, you know, sit there in that office and you know, be the trained monkey that I'm so good at being, or I could do something different. And I I chose to reinvent myself. And I went back to school to become a counselor. And I wondered if anyone would hire me to work in a treatment center. So I've been to treatment a lot, but, you know, it's different being on the other side of the desk. And I started, you know, I started working in a facility and then I moved to Breathe Life Healing Center about seven years ago. And, uh, it's 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 
absolutely the most rewarding work I've ever done. Um, you know, and, and when you go to school to be a counselor, a lot of it is, oh my God, I'm going to be able to sit with people. I'm going to be able to talk to them. And then you realize that that's only 30% of it. The other 70% of it is uh, documentation, charting, HIPAA laws, clinical appropriateness for this. And I've learned a lot over the years and I don't, I don't work as a counselor. I work as a director. Um, I do a lot of chart auditing, a lot of billable reports. I mean, I'm, I'm really good at a lot of stuff. I had no idea I was really good at. And one of the great things about working at Breed Life Healing Center is that I do have to get to have client interaction, but I also get to use a part of my brain that, that is very, uh, is very detail oriented. And, and that's very satisfying to me, but also like when I booked Orange is the New Black in 2017, I think maybe 2018, and I was in New York on location for five months, I was sitting in my dressing room in my prison uniform, auditing charts on my computer because I was still working for Breathe while I was working for Netflix. And you know, one day at one day at a time, the, the Netflix version with uh, Justina Machado and Rita Moreno and Isabella Gomez and all those amazing people, Todd Grinnell, I uh, continued my work at Breathe. And then like, I go, oh, I gotta go. I've got a 10.30 a.m. call. I'm gonna head over to Sony. And then I come back to my office at Breathe and do my work. And so I'm very blessed and I get to do both and I get to choose. Uh, it's not like people are knocking down my door to, you know, come be the star of this TV show. Uh, but, you know, it's, but I, I have the best of both worlds. I can write a book, I can do a guest star, I can work in my office, or I can not do any of it. So I'm very lucky. You're doing it all. Where, how did you first hear about this Netflix reincarnation 2017 of One Day at a Time with Rita Moreno well, and all these other people? That, well, Rita Moreno was One Day at a Time and then Net, Orange is the New Black. I mean, it was crazy. So I knew they were doing a reimagining of One Day at a Time, not a reboot, but a reimagining. Yeah. And I thought, ooh, it would be so cool if I could be on it. But it's not like I called Norman Lear and said, hey, Norman, you know, but one day my phone rang and it said Norman Lear on the call. Because, you know, I have Norman's number. He's I've known him my whole life. And um, that's how it started. And, you know, when when even if you're in the middle of a clinical meeting and your phone rings and it's Norman Lear, you excuse yourself to go out in the hall and have a conversation with Uncle Norman. And, you know, um, I went in for one guest starring role and it became a recurring. And so, you know, I did maybe four or five episodes a season um, and then COVID hit and the whole one day at a time thing uh, stopped because it was just not sustainable because COVID was lasting for so long and that was so cool and it was so much fun because I get to be with Norman and I get to be with Patricia Palmer who was the executive producer of the original one day at a time and is also an executive producer on the new one day at a time so it was very full circle for me. Did you have like any reservations or no when Norman Lear calls? Not one second. I played a therapist. I played a therapist on the, on the new one day at a time. And it was just like, it was kismet. It was perfection. And I had such a good time. And I'm so grateful for the opportunity to be on the show. Why do you think, you know, this reincarnation, the original still stands. Like, why do you think this, like you said, you thought you were just going to, you know, your manager said, just go do this little job until you're 18. Like, what do you think it is about the show that's just so iconic? Like, it stands the test of time. 
Well, I think it's about Norman Lear. I think it's about him because of his archives. Like, like, look at this, live in front of a studio audience, has won Emmys. It's about to happen again with Facts of Life and different strokes. And this is, this is Norman, you know, and, and Jimmy Kimmel and uh, Brent Miller, who is uh, Norman's right-hand man and a genius. And um, he, Norman is a social justice warrior and always has been. And uh, he wanted to give the Latinx community a platform, a story. And I thought, I think it was like the perfect reimagining of One Day at a Time with the abuela and the divorced daughter and the kids. And it was just, I thought it was funny and brilliant. And I was really glad to be a part of it. Are you shocked at where TV is in like a good way? Like, you know, you talk about like one day at a time, like, you know, Orange is the New Black, which I have some questions on in a second, you know, like diversity and inclusion. I mean, especially like at Netflix is, is alive and well, like it's about time, right? It's incredible. It's as it should be. You know, we, you know, as you watch a medium or anything sort of grow and change with time, uh, you know, you're always going to say, God, that should have happened a lot sooner with anything, Right. The time had come, but it just wasn't happening yet. Now it's rolling out and it's beautiful. And we're seeing, we're seeing the rainbow and it's beautiful. It's incredible. I'm so pleased. One of my highlights of your acting career in the past, however many years was your guest starring role on the brilliant hot in Cleveland. That was fun. Cause you know, I'm sitting there and it's like season two. I'm like thinking, are they going to ask me to be on this show? Like, and then it's season three. And then it's the, then I'm hearing it's the final season of Hot in Cleveland. And I'm like, those sons of bitches. And then my phone rings. Oh, yes, of course, I'd love to do it. And that was so fun every day for that week, showing up and rehearsing with Valerie and being around Betty White and Jane Lee. Just the whole thing was fun. When your phone rings, is it Valerie or is it like agents and managers or is it like Valerie being like, listen, girl? I don't think it, I don't think it was Valerie. I think it was my agent saying, hey, it's a straight offer. I mean, obviously, you know, they're not going to, you know, but I didn't have to audition is what I'm saying. And I was like, totally. Yes, yes, yes. Were you aware that like, you know, fans of, the world and pop culture and like people went insane. Yes. It was really exciting for, for me and Val both. We were like, Oh my God, just wait till they hear. It was a big deal. What is it? Listen, there's so many, you know, Hollywood friendships. We all know how the business works, you know, best friends today, friends, not tomorrow. Like what is it, you know, all these years later that you and Valerie are still like sisters, you know, it's, we were teenagers and now we're women of a certain age and we loved each other. We loved the people that we worked with. We were a family, you know, and that, I guess, you know, we we certainly had our years where I was, you know, out of my mind and Valerie was like, okay, you know, and, and there were times where, you know, I would drive over Coldwater Canyon and I would know where Val and Ed lived. And I would just call and leave her a voicemail and say, I just drove past the house. I want you to know I'm six months sober. 
I just drove past the house. I want you to know I'm a year sober, you know, and one day she called me back and that was, this is many, many years ago in my previous recovery. And, um, it was, it was like, I was patient because I know I had a lot of repair to do. And, um, I said, you don't have to call me back. I just want you to know I'm thinking of you and I love you. And one day the phone rang and yeah, there's a lot that's happening a lot here in this interview. One day the phone rang, but, um, I love that. Like I texted her the other night and I'm like, dude, you were just a question on jeopardy. She's like, no, really? That's a first. And I was like, yes. And they got it right. You know, it's, it's a sweet thing. What is something about Valerie that we'd be shocked to know? Like, She's very shy. She's a very shy person. Wow. Yeah, I wouldn't think that. I mean, I've met her a few times just in, you know, I wouldn't think that really. Because when you turn it on, step out of the, into the lights and, and be a different version of yourself. Yeah. You know, she's a shy woman, a lovely woman. Well, as far as the phone ringing, if Norman Lear or Valerie Bertinelli or Mackenzie Phillips called me, I would pick up. So there you go. <laughs> right. How did you get this role in the brilliant Orange is the New Black? So it was so crazy. I was traveling for work and I was on my way to a conference in Baltimore. And I was with my clinical director and the CEO of Breathe, both females and um, various others. And we were in a hotel in Baltimore and I got a call saying, hey, they want you to self-tape for Orange is the New Black. And I was like, crap, I am in the, I'm in a hotel room with a bunch of behavioral health professionals. And so we set up my iPad. I had the, you know, the sides and the CEO of Breathe read the other part and the clinical director directed the audition. And we just did it uh, sitting in my hotel room in Baltimore. And then I emailed it back to my agent. And then the next day I'm waiting in line for security at the airport in Baltimore to fly back to LA. And I get the call, you got the job. And I was like, what, what, what? And it was so exciting because it's, you know, it's orange is the new black. I mean, it was like, it was just magical and it was thrilling and so much fun. And then I was doing also, when we got back from Baltimore, I was doing several episodes of One Day at a Time. And I was waiting to hear, you know, that the deal had been signed and I was so anxious. And Rita Moreno goes, darling, calm down. It's fine. They told you, you got the job, you got the job. And I was like, yes, but, but just calm down. You're here now. And I was like, oh, she's giving me the kind of advice that I give people all the time. Where are your feet? Focus on where you are right now. Take your head out of the distraction of everything else. So I got the job. It was a blast. It was so much fun. You know what I really loved about Orange is the New Black is that you're working with like a fashion icon like Natasha Leone, right? And yet we're all in prison uniforms and nobody has like makeup. Like they, if anything, they go in to make you look older and more tired than you look without makeup. And then I had to wear like they, they created an Invisalign to go over my teeth to make it look like I'd been in prison for 30 years and had very yellow teeth. So I still have that Invisalign and I pop it in once in a while because it, it was it was incredible. It was a blast. 
who were you it was closest? A I mean, it was a great, brilliant show. Like, who were you closest to on the set? Like you mentioned. I was really that. closest to uh, Vicky Martinez, uh, who's fantastic. Uh, we, we, uh, we, we had a lot of scenes together. And I think out of the regular cast of Orange is the New Black, I was probably working with um, Natasha the most. And, you know, Natasha's been friends with my sister Bijou for years. And Natasha's a woman in recovery, so we had a lot of stuff in common. Yeah, this super might, fun. This might be a dumb question, but you know, like you mentioned, like one day at a time, like you played a therapist. Okay, like perfect. You know, so now you're playing Barb in Orange is the New Black, and like there's a scene, you know, like she's she was into drugs, and like where you're like snorting fake drugs, and oh yeah, that was a trip. That was trippy because I knew it was coming, and the day came for me to film it. And they handed it to me and I was like, no, 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 no. You got to cut the straw at an angle and you got to do this. And you got to, because I wanted it to look, be realistic. And, um, and I was like, no, whatever. It was like vitamin B powder or something. I said, like, no, I'm going to snort it. And I snorted it in the first take. And it was like, uh, it made my eyes water. And it was like, and then people would say to me, oh my God, you must've been so triggered. I was like, no, I wasn't triggered. I was inhabiting somebody else. And then I got to walk away a free woman. Like I was inhabiting someone who had no choices, was in prison for the rest of her life and didn't have, you know, like she couldn't say, oh, well, you know, I think I'm going to go to treatment. She's in prison. You know, it was just, it was, it was an incredible opportunity to um, become more living in gratitude for the life that I do have, but also to be, more compassionate about someone like Barb, right? I was also very close right. with Henny Russell, who played my sister. So I that, that it was, it was fun. Right, like someone like Barb, who you know is in prison and right can't go to recovery and just doesn't have any options, you know. And and I thought it was cool that you know throughout the course of the arc of the season that you know Barb gets a thirty day chip from Natasha. It was fun. It was super fun. Well, you know, between that and one day at a time, I mean, I know you have your day job, like, do you want to do more acting these days? Like what if a series did come along like full-time series? Well, here's what I've always said. Like, I don't think anybody, well, maybe they do wants to be number one on the call sheet. Cause if you're number one on the call sheet, you're literally in every scene, right? Maybe six, seven, nine, I like make me number nine on the call sheet that way I can, you know, come in and, you know, but sure. I mean, if something came along that I thought was great and appropriate and, and fun and something that I was passionate about, sure. But I'd still have to be able to have the freedom to do at least some of the work that I'm doing at breathe. That's why like an ensemble show, right? Like eighth on the call sheet. It's perfect. Yeah. It's perfect. And you know, I mean, what if it shot in Toronto, though? That would be a problem. That would be a problem. Well, you know, we'll, we'll cross that bridge if we if we get to it. They will just have to shoot all your scenes certain days and fly you home. The That's other right. Days. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, is there a part like I know that you were in a band like the New Mamas and the Papas? Like, is it you've done stage work? Like, is there any part of the business like as you work? now in this capacity like do you like is there a certain part of the business you want to do that you haven't done you wrote books you wrote a book 
you know, like, is there a part I wrote of two bo- I wrote two, two I box. wrote two books. Yeah. Um, I don't, you know, it's not like I sit here thinking about God, God, I'd really love to play that, that woman who has a, a kid who's this, you know, I don't, it, I don't, I don't, I mean, I'm, my life is really full and I'm really uh, passionate about what I do, but I also love inhabiting another uh, character, another story. So we'll see what happens. Do you get starstruck? Like you mentioned, like you were on Oprah, like you get calls from Norman Lear, like you've been in the business since you were 12. Like, are you the type that ever gets starstruck ever? Absolutely. Like, I've got to tell you something. If I were to meet like LeBron James, I would lose my mind. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big Laker fan. And like, like I always thought, I, I always thought I would be speechless if I met Sanjay Gupta. Like, it's not like movie stars, you know, it's, it's um, sports people or um, people like, or maybe like, for instance, there's a guy named Bessel van der Kolk who wrote this incredible book, The Body Keeps the Score. And he's a, a genius of, um, of d- dealing with generational trauma. If I met Besser Vanderkoek, van I might die. So I have like heroes that I love. At one time, many, many years ago, I was on a plane and I met Katherine Hepburn. And she said, I know who you are. And I was a teenager and I almost died because she had done Love Among the Ruins, which was written by James Castigan. And I had just finished doing Eleanor and Franklin playing young Eleanor Roosevelt. And she, it was, there were a lot of the same people. And she said, I know who you are. You, you played young Eleanor. And I was like, oh my God, Catherine Hepburn knows who I am. It's some stuff like that. That's a big moment. It was huge. I was, I was beside myself. What about like, do you understand or like, have you ever had any strange fan interactions the other way where someone's just can't believe they are meeting Julie Cooper, Mackenzie Phillips, Matt Phillips in all your glory? I, I mean, you know, sometimes like, I, I feel like if I'm on the edges of the country, like New yeah. York, LA, you know, people don't, but once I get closer to the middle of the country, people get very excited and I love them for that. People in the middle of the country, I love you for that. Um, and sometimes like if I'm in Manhattan, people will, you know, some guy driving by in a truck, he'll go, hey, it's Bob from Orange is the New Black. I'll be like, yeah, that's me, you know. That's funny. That's funny. Do you, do you watch TV? Like, do you have your own guilty TV pleasures? I watch TV. I love Stranger Things. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm so old fashioned in so many ways. I mean, I watch, I still watch appointment television. I really do. You know what I think is um, a really smart, funny show and it's Topher Grace. It's called Home Economics. It's that really is a, good. That's a really smart, really funny, well-written show. I really like that show. I also like the new Wonder Years. I haven't seen that yet. It's after the Connors, I think. Yeah, I'm actually, I watch the Connors sometimes too, too, which I think is really good. Um, You know, I watch The Voice. I watch Grey's Anatomy. I love Station 19. I love A Million Little Things. A a lot of these shows I I watch, 
I watch a lot of investigation discovery. I'm, I watch a lot of true crime uh, murder. I call it murder TV. I'm like, I'm watching murder TV if you're interested. You are an ABC girl, though. I mean, you I are am. just Shonda. I mean, listen, you and me both. Like Grey's Anatomy, I don't care what anyone says. Still good. Forget still it. Still good. Do you, but do you watch Station 19? I tried. I couldn't. You don't like it? But mind you, I loved How to Get Away with Murder. Scandal. Uh-huh. Watch Scandal uh-huh. was literally oh, the best thing that's ever. Yeah, ever. Yeah. I was like, but I, I kind of want to be Olivia Pope. Like, that's my goal in life. I don't know yeah. what anyone else is. But I, I love Station 19 because it crosses over into Grey's a lot. I know. Yeah. It does. And sometimes when it does, I'm like, like a lot this season, I'm like, wait, I'm confused. Who is that? Who, why is that? Why, why is it? Why does this mean anything? Watch the show before it and you'll find out. Grace is still, <laughs> Grace could go on. Now Forever. Scott Speedman is in it from Felicity. I like, know. What? Well, like when we started, you made a joke about like allyship and, you know, listen, like you have lots of, you know, gay boys like myself and lots of women that do you know, like you are kind of a gay icon, Mackenzie. Like, do you, do you realize this? Well, well, I love that. And I also love that I, throughout my life, have lived on both sides of the curtain. I've had boyfriends. I've had girlfriends. Uh, you know, throughout my life, I, I, am, I am neither one nor the other. Um, I love our gay community. Uh, you know, Breathe Life Healing Center is LGBT owned and operated. One of our most attended tracks that we have here is a... a chemsex track, which is gay men with crystal meth and sex addiction issues, because those, those are so entangled. And so we treat a lot of gay men with uh, crystal meth and sex issues. And um, yeah, I mean, I love everybody. Not everybody, almost. Can't love them all, right? No, it's messy. It's messy. (laughs) How do you, you know, you're also a mom, like you mentioned, like that's got to be probably your greatest accomplishment. Like how much do you love being a mom? Shane is the light of my life. He's almost 35, but he's like, I now understand my mother and she passed away in 2016, but I was 57 years old and she was calling me her little snowflake. You know, Shane's a grown man, but he is also my little baby. And we have like an interesting hobby that we do together, we play very complicated board games. We're not talking Scrabble or Risk or not even Settlers of Catan. We're talking like one entire room in the house has been changed into a game room with a game table. We play these massive Euro games that cover the entire table and it's really fun and I absolutely love doing it. So that's like, that's my thing right now is working at Breathe and, playing these tremendously complicated board games all weekend long. That takes a lot of commitment. And you watch a lot of TV. I don't know how you have time for all this plus working at Breathe. I mean, I, yes. <laughs> One or two last questions. If they were, cause you've had such an interesting life. I mean, I know we all have, but if they were going to make a movie based on your life, if you just think of like off the top of your head, actresses, like anyone, like, you know, for those early years, like when you were on one day, like any current actresses or- well, you know, Dakota is a little older now, but I always thought Dakota would be, she's got those big eyes. She's so talented. She's such a monster beast, talented actress. I always thought I, if, if that ever happened, I would love for Dakota to play me. I see this. I do see this. Mm-hmm. 
Were you a fan of her Fifty Shades of Grey? Isn't that, um, isn't that Fifty Shades of Grey? I'm oh, you're right. Dakota. You're right. Yes. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. I Melanie's was daughter. Of... Melanie yes. Griffith's daughter. Yeah. Dakota Johnson. No, I'm talking about Dakota Fanning. Fanning. Oh, I could see yeah. that too. I thought you were talking about Dakota Johnson. No, but I love Dakota Johnson. I, I, Melanie, I, and, Melanie and I have been friends for many, many years. So, yeah. I could see both of them. Has your son ever watched like the original one day at a time? Yes. Yeah. He's definitely seen some episodes. He also, I mean, he was a fan of so weird when I was on so weird, the Disney channel show, check that out. You guys, it's really fun. Really. Cool. I'm going to check it out. Um, I'm like you playing a guitar and singing and uh, come on. Yeah. It was so much fun. Um, Shane's watched one day at a time. He's of course seen American graffiti. Um, I don't think he watched any of Orange is the New Black, but I don't blame him. Mom's in prison, you know. In all orange. Anything. <laughs> we, any- didn't even, we didn't even wear orange. It was beige. Oh, you're we right. Wearing you are beige. Yeah. That was, I wanted orange. That was one of the best shows, I think, to exist in the past. It's a good show. It's such a good show. Anything else I didn't bring up? Like, I'd like to give people a chance at the end to bring up anything that they would like plug away, discuss anything I didn't discuss in your life? No, I'm, I'm, um, I'm a living, breathing plug for long-term recovery. And I believe that treatment works. And I, um, I'm just happy to have been here with you today. Thank you for your time. I'm happy that you were here. I mean, thank you for being just so, you know, open and honest and just willing to entertain all of my many questions. Can I tell you that? Yes. My guy here at Breathe came by and he said, okay, so you're all set for your podcast today at one. And I was like, wait, isn't that next Friday? He's like, no, it's today, December 3rd. So I certainly would have done more and not worn a flannel, but you know, I like this flannel. Listen, I am, I am, I am no one to like do glam for That's for sure. I am very casual. Well, but but people are going to see it. And I noticed that my bangs look a little funky, but whatever. This is me. This is how I showed up at work today. Not even knowing that I was going to be on camera. So I love, I love a good flannel. Listen, there's nothing wrong with a good flannel. It's like, I agree. It's, it's, you know, it's cold here in New York. It's, it makes me feel like you're, it's not October. It's December. You almost said it's October. I almost said it's October. Well, this just shows you, I I almost said October, but I do know that it's December, (laughs) but this just shows you how this whole year has been just, I feel like since COVID, I mean, I don't know about you, but 2020 and 21, I feel like I have worked non, it's been just busy. Like, I don't know what life was like before COVID, but I feel like it's work now. So busy, right? So busy. Yeah. But that's good. We both like what we do. So that's right. It's very important. Where can everyone find you who wants to follow you or if they, you know, Oh, um, all of my social media is at Mac M A C K Phillips. Instagram, Twitter, and then I have a fan page on Facebook, which is Mackenzie Phillips, M-A-C-K-E-N-Z-I-E Phillips. And they need to check out your podcast as well. America Recovers, people. Check us out. You can go back and find the Billy Porter interview, which was nuts, and uh, uh, certainly Oprah. We even interviewed Stephen Baldwin. Uh, that oh, was wow. fun. You know, my, my sister, China, is married to Billy Baldwin. So no degrees of separate. And my sister Bijou is married to Danny Masterson. So it's all crazy. 
Do you have a favorite Wilson Phillips song? Hold on for one more day. Things will go your way. I love that song. It's a great one. Do you have a favorite Van Halen song? We have to jump, jump. Me too. Might as well jump. Me too. I, yes yeah. and yes to both of those. I would say yeah. yes. Just just want to make sure we're aligned there, Mackenzie. We're aligned. So, but I really do appreciate your time. I know you're busy. So keep in touch. I got to get back to auditing charts, but thank you for your time. Anytime. And, come, and I, I'm, if I'm in Manhattan, I'll look you up. And if you're out in LA, let me look, know. Look me up when you're in Manhattan. I will when I get out there with the, with the Zarians. So Exactly. I, I, I am going to be out there soon, but I really do appreciate this. Thank you so much. Don't work too hard. And we'll You're talk. welcome. Take Same. care. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to yet another episode of Behind the Velvet Rope. Because without you listeners, I would just be a crazy person with voices in my head. And if you like what you hear, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe on Apple Podcasts under Behind the Velvet Rope. And when you're done subscribing, feel free to leave a five-star write-up review because the write-up reviews actually count. We read each and every one of them. We post the best ones and the reviews really help our shows keep going. And we really appreciate everything you guys say, especially the positive ones. And if you want to find us online, we're at Behind Velvet Rope on Instagram. We are at David Yontef on Instagram. We're behind the Velvet Rope on Apple Podcasts. Or head on over to Patreon because you know what? There are just some things we can't talk about here. So for our bonus episodes, go to Patreon and type in Behind the Velvet Rope. And if you still aren't sick of me and you want more David, go to Cameo and book me on Cameo. And you can ask me anything there. I'll answer whatever you want. And I have a bargain basement price of $10. Thank you guys. See you soon.